Canto 3 of The Purgatory begins with the scene of the souls scattering like pigeons startled. They'd been alarmed by the appearance of Cato and it pulled them out of their reverie with the beautiful song. And Dante says, though, that he clung close to Virgil. What could I do without my guide? What could I do without my comforter? He says. And it sets up a really interesting canto, a lot of which is actually focused on Virgil, I think. And it's one of the places where I feel my sense of things differs quite a lot from the modern commentators, um, particularly those that accompany Mark Muser's um, translation, which I've been recommending, and also the Hollanders' more extensive notes because they are inclined to say that this canto, in a way, is the beginning of Virgil's undoing. It's when he really recognises that his old philosophical reason can't bring him to the fullness of paradise, um, which he is sensing the souls around him are invited to because they know of the Christian dispensation. They say things like Virgil increasingly looks a pathetic figure through the purgatory. But I think it's something quite the opposite, in fact. I think that Virgil is really entering purgatory, you might say. He is lamenting what he thought he knew but didn't know. He's becoming worried and anxious about his own future. Um, and these feelings are very difficult and disturbing, but they are precisely the ones that make for the turning point. Um, unless his confident consciousness, you might say, can become uncoupled from its certainties, which he's definitely experiencing now, because remember he's in purgatory which he hasn't visited before, rather than the inferno where he had. Unless that process happens, he himself can't hope to change. His awareness of life and its dynamics can't move into the new dispensation, which Cato has already alluded to as a move from the old laws where the divine logos was seen as a kind of tendency or fate or allure, um, almost like a rule running through things, to the new law, which is going to be very different, um, but for now we're calling it the law of love the law that's much more based on relationship, desire, fulfilment, um, light, ecstasy even. But let's not get ahead of ourselves too, because I think this canto, with Dante drawing near to Virgil right at the beginning, is supposed to draw our attention, not just towards what I increasingly feel is Virgil's own salvation, but what that might mean for us because we too have got to awaken to this new law. Dante, even though he was born a Christian, still doesn't really begin to understand it. So when you read in this canto of Virgil's personal reflections, how his conscience is pricked by a seemingly small fault, um, for me that speaks of psychological realism, because it's often in the small details that we're wrong, that we get that, what psychotherapists call that narcissistic wound, 
those small things are often the things that really jar. But of course, they're also the things that we most notice, and so are the things that most make for the possibility of change too. Um, or when you read more expansively of Virgil lamenting that even the great geniuses of Plato and Aristotle didn't begin to understand the way that the cosmos works because they relied too much on the human mind and didn't understand the new law. I think that that is Virgil anticipating what Dante too must learn because remember Dante himself has written a lot of the Divine Comedy based on the new insights of Aristotle. It's that new learning which has already so developed his perception of things. And although Virgil is in lament here, what he doesn't realise is that around the corner, um, the, the comedy, the happy ending to the sense of his uh, uh, personal tragedy now, is going to be an absolute explosion of insight and knowledge that's actually, I feel, and we'll get to it again, is going to be a transcendence of even the Christian dispensation as it had become understood at Dante's time and I think still quite a lot in our own time as well. In the canto you get hints and nudges that it's not just straightforward tragedy for Virgil. Um, it's said that he gathers himself together and moves with a certain dignity without the haste of the undignified. Um, it's said that he notes things like how time really matters because um, time in the present moment is always the moment for change. As one of the modern commentators who I think has got a sort of feeling for the inner life of this canto rather than just the externalities. Um, Helen Luke, who wrote a wonderful book called From Dark Wood to White Rose, as she points out, and this is the really important turning point between hell and purgatory, where in hell the souls are full of bitter resentment about what's happened to them, whereas in purgatory there's the huge effort to take responsibility, to accept personally that if things are going to change, the locus of change primarily is within the individual's heart. And that takes a huge amount of effort and in fact a huge amount of time too because it's got to kind of seep and percolate through all the sinews of your being um, and I think that is one of the things um, which Virgil's beginning to pick up on here now that time is of the essence but also it needs time to really bring about these changes. He's beginning to latch onto that when there's this combination not just of his personal sadness, but also of a kind of dignity that he brings. That is what signifies his personal attempt to enter purgatory himself, not just sort of neutrally climb up the mountain as if all he was here to do was offer, offer a few bits of increasingly useless guidance to Dante. No, he's here as part of God's divine purposes as well. We're in this understanding of place where meaning is always present in particular places. Um, it's not just, as it were, Cartesian space, they're on the seventh terrace and that means this. 
in a slightly clunky and literal reading that you can find in some of the commentators. No, these places are always um, places of spiritual transformation. There are kind of dynamic forces at work in all parts of the purgatory, and I guess in all parts of the cosmos, if only we had the eyes to see. As if to emphasise that it takes time to become capable of paradise. In this canto too is noted for the first time that Dante, the pilgrim, actually turns to the mountain and notices it. Um, he wanders at it in awe. doesn't say much more than that right now, but the first impact it has upon him is of its scale. It reaches right to the heavens. You know, what on earth is it going to involve? How on earth is he going to find what it takes to climb it? And that is the energetic, the felt sense of this transformation. And then um, this has all happened in the first few opening tercets of the canto. Um, Virgil's reflection, Dante's uh, turning to look at the mountain. Um, meanwhile, the sun has continued to rise. Um, it's now quite high in the sky. Um, the sun doesn't stop. Um, fulfilling its divine purposes and um, it's casting shadows and as Dante looks at the mountain he sees his shadow falling towards the mountain but then uh, in a moment of um, fear realizes that he can't see Virgil's shadow uh, coming towards the mountain as well falling towards the mountain as well even though the two are standing alongside each other and um, it's the first time um, in the purgatory, that the business of Dante's shadow um, being noticed in this instance by Dante, um, and then in about half a dozen other instances through the purgatory, that Dante has a shadow will be noticed by other souls. Um, Virgil explains to Dante why he hasn't got a shadow. Um, he hasn't got a physical body. He describes how his physical body has, of course, died. Um, he talks about um, his tombs um, in Brindisi and then outside Naples as well, um, as if, um, you know, just a gentle kind of grieving for his physical body. But he's now got um, the diaphanous body of the living soul. And I think that the reason why um, it doesn't cast a shadow is um, because to the medieval and indeed the ancient mind, um, you know, we don't just have a kind of physical body that's somehow alive. Um, they thought that we have um, a kind of continuum of bodies into, from the physical into the soul, into the spirit. Um, it's sometimes referred to now as the subtle body. Um, it's, in a way, the body you most directly feel, actually. Um, it's the body of your vitality, or not, if you're feeling ill. Um, it's um, that body which is in fact closest to your experience precisely because it's subtle and not gross like the physical body. Um, and what Virgil tells Dante is that um, the soul, the diaphanous body, is made of the same stuff as the light that shines from the sun. Um, and so the light passes straight through it and they're one and the same. Whereas the shadow um, of Dante's physical body blocks the light. It's made of um, heavier, more gravitationally susceptible stuff. Remember we've talked a lot about how levity was felt to be the force that rises like fire and spirit and light 
um, whereas gravity was felt to be the force that brings down like water and earth and um, the physical body. And I think it's actually why Dante's physical body and his shadow in purgatory has sort of the opposite impact upon the souls that it had on those in hell, because in hell his physical body had meant life, um, the old life that um, they lost. Um, the physical body there was, in a way, the intermediary back into the life of levity and spirit, um, whereas they'd lost all that in hell. Whereas now in purgatory, it means the opposite, actually. It means the presence or the possibility of death, of condemnation, um, because it blocks the sun, it blocks the light. Um, and as we'll see, um, that's going to be a crucial dynamic um, as they rise up the mountain. And it's not that the body is in itself wrong. Uh, context is all. Um, it's, uh, but it is a kind of transitional uh, part of ourselves. Um, the physical body which uh, is born and lives and dies. Um, and in the time of our life, um, again, this sense that time really, really matters, um, can become the means by which we become more aware of divine levity um, or where we lose touch with divine levity. Think of the spheres, Virgil tells Dante. So this is the crystalline spheres um, of the different heavens which transmit light. Um, the soul is similar to that. It also transmits light because it shares in that light. Um, and incidentally, now I say that, that um, also reminds me of how there's hope in this canto for Virgil. Um, several times, in fact, and Virgil, as well as having this downbeat mood, um, will say something like, think of the spheres, or another time he says to um, Dante notes that Virgil looks up. Um, he looks up because they actually see souls coming, but of course looking up um, in a way is the prime spiritual task. Um, and so Virgil um, is beginning to do what's going to be required um, to rise up purgatory, even though he doesn't quite know what he's doing in making these comments or making these gestures. Again, for us as readers, that's really significant because it's saying it's often in these small details, these small stances that we take um, in the present moment um, that if we may not even realise we're doing, um, but they can be the key to our own journey, our own pilgrimage, um, rising towards the heavens. Um, we get to observe that in Virgil and Dante. It becomes part of our own uh, possibility for change and turning, our own rising up the mountain, you might say. So as these exchanges between the two are going on, they come to the foot of the mountain and are confronted by its sheer steepness. Um, it looks completely like a cliff. They have no idea how they're going to begin to ascend it. Um, and then they notice, coming from afar, um, a group of very slowly moving souls. Um, they're described like sheep in quite a lot of detail by Dante. And the poet, you know, they move a bit like a flock of sheep where one half steps forward, the whole group follow behind. And so um, they're a kind of uh, leaderless mass moving sort of unthinkingly. If you'll forgive the stereotyping of sheep, um, I think what this is indicating is that these souls right at the bottom of purgatory 
are in a way the counterparts of the souls who were in the deepest part of hell. But whereas the souls in hell had lost their ability to move completely, you know, they've become frozen in the icy lake of hell. These souls didn't quite lose their ability to move, and so they stayed on the side of life. Um, they didn't completely lose their individual will, their individual desire, their individual sight. They're just uh, fragments of knowledge about the way the world works, um, the new law of love. And so whilst it's only just kept them in life, um, now at the bottom of purgatory, they're able to kind of gather that together again now. And so are moving just slowly, 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 um, almost you might say as they take the first steps towards returning to the fullness of life. Um, but they have tipped the right way. They found themselves in purgatory and not in hell. Now Dante and Virgil um, meet one of these souls uh, because what happens is they walk towards them hoping for some kind of suggestion about the way to find um, an entry up the mountain um, and when they're still quite a long way off in fact and the souls look up they notice that Dante has a shadow um, the second time in this canto when that's mentioned and um, then one of the souls um, comes forward um, and he says to Dante, don't you recognise me? Now, it turns out that this character is um, a king of Sicily called Manfred, um, and you get immediately his sense of pride. You know, he was famous in life. He expects to be recognised now. And moreover, that pride uh, continues throughout his conversation with Dante. Um, so, for example, um, he references his grandmother and that side of his family um, which was the most noble and glorious side of his family. Um, he recognising that Dante is still alive and so will return to earth, he asks Dante to request that his daughter who is now the mother of queens as he says, um, that uh, she will pray for him in purgatory. Um, you know, this old medieval practice of, pr of praying for the souls in purgatory to uh, lessen their time there. Um, but it's, you know, very striking that Manfred doesn't just ask for Dante's prayers, he asks for his great noble um, offspring's prayers. Um, his pride um, is still very powerful, very active um, here, and you get this, the hints that that is why he himself is moving so slowly around, um, not even having begun to climb the mountain. Um, Manfred himself explains this when they talk, um, again in a sort of slightly clunky way, um, I think. He says um, that uh, he was excommunicated by the church um, and that he has learned that he must spend time in this part of purgatory um, for, that's 30 times the length of his life. So he explains why he's here without much insight, which of course is what it takes time to develop, and which he must develop. Um, for Dante's original readers, um, it would be really surprising to see Manfred here in Purgatory, um, you know, echoing the surprise of seeing Cato here in Purgatory. The reason being that if Manfred was known for one thing 
um, at the time of Dante, it was for murdering several members of his family um, in the machinations of his power. Um, and in fact, he got into conflict with the church, which is why the church excommunicated him. Um, you know, it really shows up um, the dirty side, both of the medieval church and of Manfred's own life. Um, the last place they would have expected him to be was in a place potentially saved. And I think that Dante's doing this deliberately because he's saying to his first readers and to us too, you've got to expect the unexpected here. This is going to exceed everything you thought you knew, um, including finding all sorts of souls in this place that you expected to be in the other place. The other way that Manfred explains what happened to him is that he converted at the last minute. Um, he described something of his conflicts with the church um, and in fact how the church rather br brutally abused his body um, after his death. Um, uh, it, it contrasts very much with Virgil at the beginning of the canto remembering how his body was honoured by being moved well, Manfred's body was desecrated by being moved. Um, it really shows the church up in a bad light. Um, but he converts at the last minute. And again, you know, there's a kind of literal, clunky way of thinking about that, which many people go on. It's almost like, you know, the sort of magic that if you, you can do what you like in life, as long as you convert at the last moment. But of course, Dante is pushing for something much more subtle and profound than that. Um, uh, Luke, actually, in her comments, she um, cites T.S. Eliot's um, line where Eliot says, yeah, the time of death is every moment. Um, and that is really the spiritual meaning, I think, of this remark about uh, last minute deathbed conversions, um, that um, with real insight, you realise that every moment, you might say, is a letting go of the old and stepping into the new. Um, that's what time is like. Um, and so every moment is a kind of death with the possibility of turning to life. So the time of death is every moment. So Dante, the poet, is intimating pretty strongly, I think, that in fact neither Manfred nor the church really understands the details of salvation. Um, they just use these... Um, formulas that are really about exercising their own power. Um, but Dante the Pilgrim actually shows humility at this point, um, which is good because he's in purgatory. And um, he shows it because um, he apologises to Manfred for not recognising who he is. Virgil also explains to Manfred and the other souls that um, Dante has a body because he's here um, on um, a divine uh, mission um, he has the blessing of heaven to be here, which puts them at their ease. Um, and then they tell Virgil and Dante that they must actually go back the way they came, um, that that is where the entry to the mountain is found. Um, and, uh, you know, the souls say, you know, lead us there, um, which uh, is them showing their humility in a way. You know, they're still a bit like the leaderless sheep, um, and they recognise that if Dante is... Um, there because of divine blessing then maybe he can show them something as much as they can show him something. So again this canto is very much of purgatory. It contains sadness, anxiety, lament, a sense of limitation particularly around the figure of Virgil. Um, but Virgil also looks up, he understands about the crystalline spheres, he does have some awareness of heaven and he moves with the kind of dignity that suggests 
he's taking responsibility for his own conversion. He's not actually just like the souls in hell who are full of bitter resentment. And that begins to suggest some of the deeper insights which Manfred is going to learn but hasn't yet, um, which um, the kind of 101 church understandings um, with tales of deathbed conversions, um, praying for souls in purgatory, um, they don't really seem to get either. That both where we are and how we are in any particular moment is the moment of a death that can lead to a new life. Um, you know, our will, our desire, our knowledge, our sight can be in a constant process of opening up and exceeding everything we thought we knew. But for now, we are in purgatory and at the very lowest parts of purgatory still. This canto ends with Manfred kind of rabbiting on and Virgil and Dante both contemplating what he's saying and you sense slowly, slowly beginning to change inside.